it's whiskey gingers for me that make it better. You had a bunch of those. I had three of them. Yeah. I am I, buzzed. Yeah. I'm not drunk. No. I could I could drive right now if I needed to. Hard time. But uh yeah, I got that kind of carefree. Kind of carefree buzz. Light head lightheaded feeling. Hard time. I might hit this jewel while we're in here. But you know what we have also that we're about to open, you and I? Some other fucking clausies. We've got a fucking white claw no law right, right here. here. We're hey, just gonna right here. Yeah. Right here. Okay, oh, in front oh, of the oh, mic. Oh, in front of the mic. Little ASMR for you. <sighs> you hate it. Uh, even the sound of the can. Claws are bad. It's horrible. Just but you know what? in general? No, just that one the right white now. No, but no. I don't know why. I just don't. I didn't like the way it's it sounded. Because she's they been, sound the same. She's been drinking CBD sodas, <laughs> that is and true. we've been drinking oh, whiskey that's and right. vodka, that's and right. now we're topping it off with a claw. Also, and I don't I drink too terrible. Truly, Did I just you? truly hate white claws. Was that a gift from somebody, or did you take that from? No, I made that for her. Okay. This is a jar. Thank you. This is. This I got a jar, Dad. This is Sorry. a jar with a candle on top <laughs> that. Uh, well, we're not going to talk about that. Okay. It's a. It's a. It's a jar. Okay. The conversation we had earlier. Oh. Oh. It's a jar. Oh, someone's getting fucked. So anyway, mm-hmm. I have a white claw now. Hello, guys. Hi. We're back. We're back. Welcome to Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes. A paranormal podcast where I've had vodka, Randall's had whiskey. Hour and a half's worth. Uh, had a long, intense conversation, which was great. Uh, wonderful conversation. I haven't gotten into it with you about that kind of stuff I before. I keep that shit to myself. I'm very intelligent, by the way. Most people don't know. I don't think that was a question. No, 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 probably not. But I just, I just keep my shit to myself. I read a lot. Uh, Paranormal podcast. We talk about all things spoopy. Uh-huh. Dick, sleepy. Fuck them. Fuck dicks. Duck dicks are dumb. I need to ask you questions earlier that I totally <laughs> forgot about. Oh, yeah. I'll ask you later. Okay. Remind me. I write it down. I need a favor. <laughs> write it. Write it down. Favor. So we don't forget. Are you around this weekend? We'll just do it now. Can you watch my dog this weekend? Possibly. Okay. I'm going to Centralia and Ooh. Lincoln City for the whole weekend. Oh, okay. I'll be back on Sunday, but I'll be gone Friday and Saturday. Possibly. Okay. Possibly. We'll chat more okay. off mic. Now you guys know. So when you when you watch Lana, does she go to your house? Do you come here? What happens? I come here. Okay. There's no room yeah. at my house. If I had a yard, I would just bring her to my house, but I don't. Is she good at other people's houses? She's fine. She's... <laughs> When she's in someone else's house, she's pretty respectful, but I'll bring him to John's brother's house, and he has two very, very uh, feisty huskies, and she's not generally very happy when she's there. I have no dogs, but, I mean, I have toddlers and a mason, so... If you want to take her, you're welcome to. If if you can't, I'll take her to my house. All right. She's the most chill baby. Yeah, no, she's she's super super chill. chill. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't have room for three big, sweet, dumb angels. Yeah, and I don't think house. I even work a full day on Saturday. So, yeah, we'll figure I I can take her if need okay. be, which is hateful. Dope. So, got that figured go. out. Sweet. Now Sweet. you guys know. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> My short vacation plans are taken care of. Uh, we haven't been here for I don't even know how many weeks. So, uh, it's been a week. So, we topped this one off with some cocktails. Much needed. Yeah. And hi, guys. Hi. Hi. 
Hello. Do we have backhoes? Of course we do. It's been two weeks. <laughs> I have a backhoe for myself. I do too. <laughs> so, would you like to begin? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, let me take a take a chug off this fucking white claw. Take a pull. Yeah. 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 No, I don't want anything to do with that. It's actually really good. I don't either, but I'm doing it anyway because it's been a fucking weekish. It's been a week. It's been a weekish. It's been a week. It's been dumb. What's your back hope? Uh so I listened to our Dahmer episode, mm. which A and I know I've said this before, but if there's like a podcast award that you can nominate us to, there is. God damn it, that was a good episode. Somebody just pointed it out in the squad. Fuck, page. That was a good episode. So if you want to vote for us, please do that. There's a link on the squad page, and I believe I also posted it on Twitter. But I am going to come out and say, so I, I said at the beginning of that, and now mind you, I had just come off of weeks of researching Dahmer and the photos, and I stand by. What I said about Dahmer uh, making me sad. Yeah. It's like It's a giant bummer. Not to come um, off as a Dahmer sympathizer, but no. when I said that I would buy him all the cup noodles, I would probably have just bought him one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's your backhoe? <laughs> yeah. I would have got one cup noodles. That's my backhoe. Him. I said um, I would buy him all the cup noodles he wanted or some shit like that. No. No. Even though I... I there has to be like a... A certain number. I would I would have I would have written to him. I would have had some questions and I would have been like, Yeah, but I definitely would have bought him a cup noodle, but I think there. I not many um, not many cup noodle. Just one. Uh somebody yeah. pointed out in again the squad page that um probably it was the negative impact of his mother never touching him as an infant. Uh, like absolutely. that definitely did not help. No. Create it a, did uh, not, and we did bring this mental up health because you know situation. You, you hear about all these yeah. these orphanages. I couldn't. Well, I couldn't remember how in depth we went into yeah. it because I have not listened to it since then. Um, but I was like, that is a very good point. I'm pretty sure we touched on it a little bit, yeah, but I don't know did. if we went into like super depth. But yeah, um, it's that is 100 percent accurate. And yeah. I, I think like a a pretty succinct view into what his not childhood, but like. Teenage years, uh, the movie My Friend Dahmer, mm -hmm. yeah, is it touches on a lot because it doesn't focus at all on who he killed or any of that. No, yeah, it's just it's, about him. It's as a, a very, very, very this was... good look at his mm -hmm. life, and it's he, yeah. He was a sick man, but not in the like I said in that episode, not the way that Bundy was sick. Right. Yeah. He was sick in the way that he truly needed and. I think wanted help. Mm -hmm. Bundy didn't want help. Bu no. Bundy no. enjoyed what he did. Yeah. Dahmer didn't enjoy any of it. So anyway, so that's the one cup noodle. That was my backhoe. What else we got? Hold please. Hold please. Oh. CBD sodas. Did you work today? No, I'm just tired. CBD. Okay. She had the, but she had those CBD sodas. They chill the fuck out. That, those don't. Also those don't do that though. Not that. I'm just really fucking tired. Always, I am tired. Forever. What's your shirt say? It's Polly Shore. <laughs> totally Polly. I, I, it looked like Dr. Frankenfurter for a half oh, a no. second. Oh, no, it's Polly Shore uh, okay. because I love the weasel forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Is Biodome your favorite movie? Oh, God, I love that movie. <laughs> don't, you, you don't want to start this with me because it will never end. No, I know. Once the floodgates of me quoting Polly Shore no there's a, will there's... never end. Oh, yeah. Like, Oh. Ghostbusters alumni in, in Biodome. If anybody knows, the guy who 
played Walter Peck, the yeah. EPA inspector, is in Biodome. Again, a wonderful villain yeah. in Biodome. Such a good villain. I fucking love that movie. No, I think I think my top Polly Shore movie is a tie between Son-in-Law and Encino Man. I haven't seen anything of his with Biodome. Oh, it's the only thing I've seen. They're so good. They're so dumb and so wonderful. Yeah. And I met him oh, yeah. when he went to Helium a couple years ago, and it was probably the most exciting thing that happened to me <laughs> that year. Um, but I, my cousin and I watched all of his movies in the theaters together, okay. always. And we had gone to see Son-in-Law for probably like the 14th time, who uh-huh. remembers. But... Um, like the movie theater poster, they were taking it down to replace it with something else. And we were like, can we have that? <laughs> and they were like, uh, sure. So they just gave us like the giant yeah, yeah, yeah. son-in-law poster. And so I, the day he was doing his show, I had gone to my favorite Mormon thrift store, the Deseret Industries. The Deseret. <laughs> and I was like, I want to find a VHS copy of son-in-law because I want to take it with me and have him sign it tonight. And I fucking found one. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, That's I've amazing. Manifested a VHS <laughs> copy of Son in Law. So, and at yeah, the Deseret. At the Deseret, I love the DI. Um, <laughs> if you're Mormon, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was a great day. Uh, yeah, I also just ordered the coolest shirt from Super Yaki. It is. It was out of stock forever, but it is. Um, it's like the Encino Man title uh-huh. but it just says brendan fraser <laughs> i was like yes so that was really exciting because oh buddy i fucking love encino man you do uh so john used to work at living room theaters in portland mm-hmm. and um oops, drop the jewel it's dying i've been puffing this thing all fucking day <laughs> um and they used to put out free posters mm-hmm. when movies were coming in so that's where the halloween poster came from oh, okay i've also got one for eighth grade uh black Klansman. And one other, I can't remember what it is now. Nice. Oh, Annabelle Comes Home. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. No, um, when my cousin and I went to see In the Army Now. Oh, I've seen that too. Uh, the part where he gets his head shaved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my cousin literally screamed, No, his crusty mop on top! <laughs> <laughs> and I will never not hear it every time I see the cover of In the Army now. Just like she was devastated. It it's was really wonderful. Funny. Oh, fucking Polly Shore. I love that guy. Um, but yeah, aside from that, here's some backhoes we've got backhoes. for you. So shout out to our new patrons, uh, Angela, Kayla, Rochelle, and Tina. All Fuck of your yeah. stuff. Sorry it took a long time, but we were on a break. So all of your stuff was in the mail as of today. Work-life balance, y'all. Yep. And <laughs> also. Hey, y'all. Thank uh, you. Uh, also, to Badass Professor, your stuff is also on the way again. Badass Professor. And uh, I'm glad to hear that the war with your mailman is over. Fuck that guy. Also, I, I'm just going to start this feud now, uh, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> professor Man. Uh, you now have to, because we have a doctor and mm-hmm. now we have a professor, mm-hmm. uh, you need to write a scathing letter to Gwyneth Paltrow for us. Oh, I'm I ready. think it's a lady. Tis. Uh, Mrs. Professor Lady. Yes, Mrs. Um, professor Lady. And then I, um, this is going back to the last 
episode we did, not the Patreon episode. It's the one where I did. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. I know. I, it's, it was so long. <laughs> what was the last episode? It's fine. Did? You don't. What, did, what was it? You don't need to know. Since right. March of 2020, time cool. has not existed. Uh, cool. No, the last episode we did where I talked about the Gene Harlow house, oh, Deborah yeah. Tate said that the premonition story uh, about Sharon was not true. But That's dumb. I don't. I don't know. So, could be a myth, could be true, but Deborah Tate said that didn't happen. But she was also talking about the movie The Haunting of Sharon Tate, which is absolute trash. So, oh. uh, I didn't know there was a movie made about oh, it's a got, haunting of Sharon it's Tate. It's got Hilary Duff in it, and it's... Oh. Does she play Sharon? She Enough does. Said. That should be. The, it's, it's bad. I haven't watched it, because number one, it looks terrible. Mm. And I've heard nary a single good review about it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And that was also part of the reason why Deborah Tate was like, when Quentin Tarantino was doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, she's like, absolutely not. Because that movie had been out recently. And it was absolute trash. Mm-hmm. Um, David Tennant just won a National Television Award for his performance in Des. So clearly you're listening, David, and his wife, Georgia. So congratulations, David Dennett, for that amazing performance. Well earned. So good. I I watched most of it at this point, and yeah, he's fucking great. Which is not a surprise. David Tennant has always been an amazing actor, but in that role, particularly, Jesus fuck, Mm -hmm. was really good. Um, And I just finished, I just caught up on the new season of American Horror Story. God damn, it's so good. It's is it so this is, it's the best good. season they've done. Stop it's it. So, I'll call it now. It's stop, so stop, fucking good. Stop. I will t- I think I'm on episode three or four. It's so, so good. Here's here's what I'll say. The Actually, best? I have a lot to say the since best? we've been done. The best. Here's why. That show is written by two people that just don't know how to fucking reel it in. Which, yeah. They just don't. They don't know how to reel it in, and Which they good. don't know how to write endings. Um, I feel like they don't know how to write middles. They put, both, really. They put too much in the middle, and then they end it with like one or two small things, but nothing is ever fully wrapped right. up to a Here's satisfying my thing with this season. Macaulay Culkin, why has he not been there from the get-go? I know! Because he He's wasn't so really good. acting. He's so good in it. He was so, he's never not been an actor. He wasn't dead. They he wasn't, could have brought him. He no wasn't one gave a shit about actually him. acting as like he wasn't doing it. Yeah, in he was general. actually in a, he was in a band. I think he was in a band. Oh, he was yeah. also in rehab a few oh, times. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah. He was. He had a rough life after yeah, Home Alone. He was oh, a, well, yeah. He got hard over by his parents. He was a hardcore drug addict. He, two of his sisters died. So he yeah. had a lot of shit going on. He just he hasn't been in anything in a long time. He was probably also like living in a lot of shame that his brothers were doing more work than he was. It's even it's, though he's in like yeah. one of the most well regarded Christmas movies ever made. But now that ever. he's back, I want him in every single. I do too. Every he's so good. Every season. So if you've noticed, he's so fitting. If you've noticed with this season, they're mm-hmm. focusing on like two plots. They've reeled it way in. And that is perfect. They have gotten rid of all of the stupid, fucking weird, uh, uh, disorienting cinematography. Like, Asylum is the perfect example. They have, like, those weird, like, upside down, downward yeah, angles. Yeah, They've gotten rid of yeah. all of that. It's more straightforward. It's straightforward. They fo- they, they've, they've really honed in on specific yeah. storylines. 
It is the best season so far, as the far as story is concerned. It is absolutely it's great. So it's so on point. Yeah. It's so on. This is the. It's it's the most well written and well executed season of that show thus far. At least in okay. a very long okay, time. Okay. Yeah. Um, there was a quote when I was watching it yesterday, and I was like, "God damn it!" Uh, hang on, now I have to find it because I can't remember what it. Exactly and while you was. do that, yes, Candyman. Yeah. How was it? Jesus so good. Christ. Yeah. So, did you end up watching the first? Yes, I okay, watched good. it. I watched good. it like four, three or four days prior. Okay, good. Because I knew that it, Z and I were going to go you see it. Kind of have to. You do. You absolutely you, you do. You do. Because here's the thing, and actually, that brings me to a point. To even know who the fuck he is and why. The reviews that all so there were very polarized reviews. It was either one of the best movies ever made or this is trash. The mo- the reviews that came out that said it was trash hadn't seen the first one. No, they had. They were saying that they were, well, maybe not, because the whole thing was, this is just so heavy-handed on gentrification and demonizing like, yeah, white people. I'm like, that's the first one. The first one they are talking about how white people are not giving a fuck about the rundown projects that are filled with black people Cabrini and how Green. this guy is terrorizing them. Cabrini Green. Yeah. That is what the first one is. Social commentary has always been part of horror movies. Yeah, like Jordan Peele just continued that in a very realistic way. Also, Nia Dacosta, because Jordan Peele wasn't the only writer. Let's not forget. Yes, 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 yes. But yeah, he he, he, so from the sounds, literally just picked up from. It's a continuation. Exactly. Absolutely. It's not pandering to the climate. Not at all. No. It's just. What the it's story just, of Candyman is. It's adding is. to the mythos of Candyman without, you can't have this movie without the original. Right. They're like a perfect one side Which was, to a coin. The first one was in 19 what? 92. 92. Exactly. And it was, so, a, it was a Clive Barker short story before. Yeah, it's, and it's, the, it's, it's it not is, pandering to the climate at all. And it's quite literally, a, like the first one is about the struggles of black people in poor neighborhoods. Yeah. That is what Candyman is about. Yeah. And all these people are like, ah, it just makes me feel bad as a white person. Motherfucker, you clearly that's haven't watched the you're first fucking, one. That's that's not anyone's problem but if yours. Right. That's how you fit. Yeah, if, if that's you how you feel, feel shitty that's about on it. you. Exactly. If you feel shitty about how that movie made you feel, that's on fucking you. That's a you problem. Secondly. 100% that's a you problem. If you are going to a movie that is half written by an executive produced by Jordan fucking Peele, Know what the fuck you're getting into because he has two other hit movies that did, I don't know, the exact same fucking thing. Yeah. So if you don't want to see a movie that's going to make you feel bad about your race, if you're white especially. He did Mama too, right? No. No? No, he did Get Out and Us. Us. Oh, sorry. That's right. Who did Mama? That was. That was a good one too. Del Toro, I think. Is that Guillermo uh, Del Toro? Mate, no. Hang on. Now I'm that going Mama was a good one, too. I haven't seen Mama. Look, I was very curious about it. was good. It. That's right. Us and, oh, yeah, yeah. Dude, what is in his brain? Oh, Andy Muschietti, who did sure. uh, It. Oh, right. Oh, the remake. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if you, if, if you think, it, oh, my God. That... Oh, wait, no. Guillermo del Toro was the executive producer. Oh, uh-huh. okay. You were right. White claws. Yeah. No don't see laws. fuck it. Don't go see a Jordan Peele movie if you don't want to feel bad about being white, because he's black and wants to tell his fucking stories. Yeah. And also, don't get mad about movies that are about gentrification when they're about gentrification, because it just shows you didn't give a shit about the source material. Well, 
and here's the thing. If you feel bad, that's a you problem. Yeah. I watched Us. I didn't feel bad. I watched Get Out. I didn't feel bad. It is about understanding like, and moving forward. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, if, if you've got a problem, you've got a fucking problem. I did appreciate being one of, like, two brown people in the yeah. theater. It was fucking hilarious. Yeah. I'm like, this feels like the most Portland viewing of Candyman and you that and could I ever exist. were so fucking excited about Everything Literally in that everything. Movie. He would like because I was sitting in front of Randall, and he would like lean into me. He's like, "This is fucking excellent." Yeah. Why were you guys in? You couldn't. It was so full. You couldn't. No, sit no, 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 no. It was we, super. We just he and John sat behind. Oh, I and, like, see. I yeah. got a seat with his friend in front. So because there was so many places. Yeah, it was just big and open. I was like, "Why? Why are we all gonna squeeze in together? When yeah. We can spread. We out have so much bit. room to spread out. Fair. Yeah, got it. So that happened, and then uh, when when the lady shows up, I leaned forward. I was like, "That's her, right?" Like, yeah. <laughs> and then I saw you dancing towards the oh, end of it. Oh, I sure fucking was. <laughs> I sure fucking was. Like my oh goddamn, it was it was incredible. That movie was, was fucking, so fucking superb. Good. Like, I'm stoked and then to see it. The very end, the title or the ending credits. Yeah. I was like, mm, I was waiting for this to happen. But like, <laughs> like now I want to see. I want to rewatch do the original oh, before yeah. I do uh, because it's so I, I, that good. trailer though. When with that trailer that you showed me, when they came in, just the sound, the same name, same goosebumps. Yeah. That is one I thing about Dre Peel movies. The trailers always have that so music good. used oh, so well. Killed me. Um, um. So, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, personally, as far as storytelling and script writing and all that stuff, I like the new one more than the original. In Terrasante. Okay. That's just me. I disagree. I don't like one better than the other because of considering time, who wrote everything, like sure. time period and everything. Yeah, yeah. And like I said before, you can't have one of those stories without the other. Fair enough. And I feel like they're both equally important and equally great films. Yeah. Um, okay. But they, oh. Much stoked. And this one was so fucking good, though. Much like, stoked. I seen. I don't think I've seen a movie Jordan Peele, dude. that good in years. Jordan the Art Hill. Critic's Apartment was one of the fucking creep. Oh. oh, so good. I want to see it again. I do too. And I will go with you to okay. see it again. It was so fucking good. Like, okay, well, without, when you guys hesitation. go for the second time, I'll yes. go for the first yes, time. Yeah, absolutely. But we have to have drinks first because uh, that's how I roll. Also, I found that quote I was thinking <laughs> about. Oh, yes. Uh, was Evan Peters talking to Austin is the name talking to Bel Noir when he's in drag at the piano? Oh he yeah! Said, I just feel like an engine that won't turn over. I just turn the key and I click, 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 and I can't catch. And I was literally talking with my therapist about that very same thing that week, and I was like, "Oh shit, writers! Yes, <laughs> that's it. That's it. A writer definitely wrote that because I feel it. I feel it in my bones." A writer was getting out some therapy stuff, being like, this is, I'm like, oh, buddy, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just, I love it. I love yeah. it, I love it, I love it. The season is so fucking good. It really is. And Can't the, recommend it enough. The the daughter, I just want to, she's, I don't I like her. Such a she great addition. punch her in the face. Truly. Uh-huh. But yeah, Finn Wittrock it. and mm-hmm. they're just, I, This it's is amazing. the first time they've utilized Finn in a completely. A, like, in a like, super main role. Yeah. Main role and yeah, like yeah, yeah. not yeah. sexualized. Nope, you're right at all. Okay, nope. I'm gonna I'm gonna just point out one second when he looks up at his wife with that one little trickle of blood. You can't tell me that wasn't a little bit sexual. Oh, it was. That was hot as fuck. But like he wasn't. He didn't weird. have like the emo no. bang and <laughs> the like the dandy open mot. shirt. Andy yeah, mot. like they like weren't showing mot. off his ripped body for the yeah, sake of showing yeah, yeah. off his ripped body. Like he was I performing. No. But I wouldn't be mad if they I wouldn't be mad about it. I'd be mad about it. Also, Dennis O'Hare. 
So far, he's always amazing. He's, I, mean, I have just gotten to the point where he was just introduced. Yeah, Ugh. he's. I mean, you only have one episode more, and yeah. he doesn't have his role is pretty small this season, at least for this story yeah, of this okay. season. Okay, um, it's certainly not like Liz Taylor, uh, but he pulls off favorite. that like super jaded gay guy mm-hmm. really fucking well. Yeah. Maybe he's a super jaded gay guy. I hope he is. <laughs> I don't know. He seems hey, pretty yeah. happy with his hubs and uh, child. Lucky. But he could be jaded be nice. and happy at the same time. Is he gay? Oh, Dennis yeah. O'Hare? Oh, I didn't know oh he was absolutely. Gay. Like, it makes complete sense. Oh, yeah. I didn't actually that know. That I knew. Okay. Yeah. I met him at a con in 2017, so it was like right after. It was after Hotel. Hotel. Oh. And I dressed. I have my like very vintage poncho and some random velvet like go-go boots that I had, and I had my turban. And he called me Stevie Nicks and asked me to twirl for him. <laughs> and I almost cried a little bit. <laughs> oh, bless it! That man like, is such a fucking treasure. He's a he is a legit treasure. The only and I wanted to buy one of his shirts, but there was only one left, and it was like three XL. And I'm like, don't care, take my money because it's Liz. <laughs> it's got Liz Taylor on it in some quote, and I'm like, I need it. By the way, that's that is my size. Shirt. If you want to give me a present. <laughs> A present a of present. a treasure. Um, um, but yeah, oh, um, you should try one of those strawberry rolls. Oh, we're doing made. that? Yeah, do it. Oh, oh also, so, good. so also, my mom sent us a box of snacks to try, okay. uh, oh, but I got it as I was leaving, so I wasn't able to look through and oh, bring God. some, so next week okay. I will. And uh, while I'm doing this, yeah. I want to mention- Yes, please do. A friend of yours reached out to me recently. Yeah. Oh. And I'm not going to name names because I don't want to embarrass them. <laughs> but the context of the message was more or less, I saw you filming at Helium, and I fangirled out a little bit and didn't come and say hi. <laughs> oh, no! Now, here's the thing. I don't find myself to be anywhere near fangirling out about <laughs> at all. Well, now you know you're wrong. <laughs> exactly. So, if you see me... Fucking say hi. Oh, I don't know. Because I am the most approachable person. Right? Uh, So, yes. We are all fangirl worthy. God damn it. Oh, God. How is it? God damn, dude. (laughs) Right? Aren't they amazing? Right? It's so good. So, So, Z made these things. Uh, I found, I follow this account on TikTok. Everybody should because she's hilarious and her recipes are really good. Kimmy's Creations. And she had, she was like, I was. I bought some of these freeze-dried strawberries. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck Kimmy's (laughs) creations, because she did it. But she was like, I bought these freeze-dried strawberries at the store. I didn't know what to do with them, so she crushed them up and mixed them with sugar, bought a pack of crescent rolls, Mm. flattened them out, Mm -hmm. put some butter on it, and then sprinkled it with strawberry sugar, rolled it up, cut them up like cinnamon rolls, and then made a strawberry drizzle with cream cheese, powdered sugar, and strawberry syrup. So did she essentially just like pulverize the strawberries? Yeah, yeah, the freeze-dried strawberries and mix with sugar. Yeah, and so I was like, "I'm fucking trying that," and And they are did, and they are delightful. Good God, man, they're so good. Like cinnamon rolls, sure, but honestly, after this, fuck a cinnamon roll. These are incredible. Mm -hmm. Where are we at? What's happening? What now? Fucking who cares? I mean, (laughs) we've been gone for two weeks. Also, got to thank my. Uh, I've got I went, a, I've I got went a to white the, claw Nola. I went to the Rose City Comic Con yesterday. I was on another panel. 
Um, that was fun. Yes. And I got to see our dear friend and listener, Dame Hake, a.k.a. Anna. She is wonderful. She oh, went to Disneyland recently. I'm so sad that we didn't. I know. Whatever. But soon. Fuck. Well, soon. But she. I was she, actually going to say something about that. She but. got me a fan at Disneyland. And it is the Haunted Mansion print. And I was like, I would kiss your face if <laughs> it weren't COVID and we yeah. had to have masks uh, on. Yeah, But yeah, no, so thank we you for that. We were not able to make it there we because, you know, it was... Just shit happened, but there will be, there are always more cons coming, and there will be more coming to Portland, and so we just have to, don't worry about it, we'll take care of that. It'll be great. That said. We'll see you all soon. We should yes. put together mm-hmm. a poll or something on the squad page. Yep. Yes. See how many people would realistically purchase a ticket mm-hmm. yes. to a show. Yes. And if we have enough, yes. just book a fucking show. Yes. Oh, I've been looking into doing that Between already. the two of us, we know plenty of people and venues. In fact- Kelly's Olympian. I know- Helium. What- Helium, Helium, maybe. No, Helium's no. touchy right now. Kelly's, Kelly's, Kelly's yes, probably. I can almost guarantee it's a place at John's work. Okay. Like, John's work. Damn near guaranteed. Yeah. John's work. And Funhouse. Oh, yeah. Funhouse. I, I can easily get Funhouse. That's right. So, with, yeah, we'll without fi- a problem. We'll figure it out. I've been looking into this already, so don't you worry. Uh, with that said. And again, if you want to manage us, drop a line. Your manager? Are you, are, you, are, you the, are you that person? That would also be. We helpful. get big enough, I'll be the fucking manager. Okay. Yes. We'll bump you up God a pay damn it. Let's, Let's do it. <laughs> yes. This is also now part of your job. What do we have now? Producer, What's next? engineer, and manager. And manager. What's happening next? Uh, so now it's story time. <laughs> ah, who goes first? The real reason we're here. Um, I do. Great. And I am really excited about it. I g- because good. I I was so excited. This frosting's insane. Right. It's, it's so good. It's so stupid easy and delicious and fucking everybody make these um but i wanted to i because this weekend was producer goose's birthday and also her son's birthday they have the same birthday so it was his birthday party on saturday we did that and i brought those strawberry rolls and i was so excited by my story that i oh i actually told you when we went out to dinner on Goose's actual birthday the night before at Ye Old Outback Steakhouse. Um, <laughs> we did! We did! It was the we best. Did. I was God so excited. We did! I was so excited. Molly and I love the Outback Steakhouse. We've yep. been there together before. Uh um, get a blooming onion? I know that's not We, we sure fucking did. Yep. Uh, but I was like, I was so close to telling her what my story was because it's just that incredible. Um, Do I know what this is? You don't. I didn't tell you because I'm about to, and I needed to see your both of your genuine reactions. Okay. So that said, I kind of wanted to get away from murder this week after you know oh. doing. Don't worry. But after like doing, <laughs> oh, after, I have plenty. She's yeah. got plenty. <laughs> but after dead I did, people. dead people. After I did Rodney Real. Alcala, I was kind of like, oh, uh, I don't want it right the now. Fuck down for a minute. Um, and I was like, I'm gonna do a haunting, but then. I heard this this story on the Dark Histories podcast, and I really had to. I had to. I'm grabbing my mic in case I scream. It's yeah. it's wise. Um, so this story has everything: romance, death, loan sharks, blackmail, ghosts, murder, murder. Also, I really need y'all to keep it together because this 
is the story of Scratching Fanny and the Cock Lane Ghost. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? what? Scratching Fanny and the Cock Lane Ghost. Does this take place cock- in London? Uh-huh. Okay. Cock Lane. That is the yep. only cock. fucking place in the whole world. Yeah. Cock Lane. Cock. Yeah. Scratching Fanny <laughs> and the Cock Lane Ghost. Yep. There's a there's a tube stop called Cock Fosters in the middle of London. Cock. So and that it's was hilarious. that was not sh- like once you said like oh that's London for sure. Yep. Yeah. Cock. Scratching Fanny. Cock. Cock and the Cock Lane Ghost. Cock. I'm excited about this. You should be. I'm excited. Cock. So. <laughs> Well, okay, me- so we both had drinks, so this might be an irritating <laughs> read for you, and I'm it sorry. Already. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me take a pull on my white claw. <laughs> Please you go on about so upset. I will leave. Scratchy Fanny and her cocks. <laughs> I will leave. I will leave. Scratchy will. Fanny and her 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 cool collection of cocks. <laughs> Please do one. Drink your water. Give us judgmental faces. <laughs> to my very soul. <laughs> it's coming from. So, uh, William Kent was born in Norwich in 1729. So we're going way back. Uh, my favorite time. His father, Thomas, was a fairly successful weaver. And when he died in 1752, he left a decent chunk of money behind for his much younger unnamed wife and three children, Robert, oh. William, and Elizabeth. By the way, there are so many Elizabeths in the story, which I know is historically accurate and makes sense. But for fuck's sake. Who wasn't named Elizabeth? I mean, I couldn't find... The wife's name, but I'm sure it was Elizabeth. Elizabeth Jane or Anne. Yep. That's about all you get so, back then. Uh, anyway, Mary. after Thomas Kent passed, his wife, and again, assuming her name was also Elizabeth, actually <laughs> moved to Norfolk with her kids. Uh, William got a job managing a local inn, which was where he met Elizabeth Lyons in 1756. He was 27. She was 20. Uh, Elizabeth Lyons came from a rather wealthy family with seven kids. Uh, William and Elizabeth started seeing each other, though initially they kept their relationship on the DL, considering Elizabeth's two older brothers, John and Thomas, were super protective over their five sisters. Yikes. Uh, you can five? imagine. Five? I, they had seven children. Wow. Oh, like the parents. The Lyons family had seven children, which I just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, your face. Mm-hmm. Don't mind us. We're fine. Uh, so you can imagine how very unstoked the Lyons brothers were in 1757 when William revealed that he'd knocked up their sister. Oh, oh, dope. oh, wait, nope, not dope. <laughs> no, wait, fucking rad. No, no. oh, no, he not. knocked up his sister. Mm. William knocked up the Lyons, oh. Elizabeth Lyons, and William Kent related he told her brothers that he got her pregnant ah he's like i knocked up your sister i feel like that was clear maybe not so (laughs) dope (laughs) go on never mind i thought he knocked up his own sister he did i did too there are a hundred (laughs) thousand elizabeths in this story uh so they didn't want to publicize the scandal, so William and Elizabeth were married real quick in March of 1757 when she was about three months pregnant. 
after the wedding, her brothers arranged for William to take a job as an innkeeper in Stoke Ferry, which is about an hour away from Norwich and roughly 80 miles from London. Uh, they weren't doing this as a kindness. They just wanted to get Elizabeth and her now husband out of town before she started showing. Yikes. Uh, the contract yes. William signed was for two years, which also meant that by the time the Kents returned to Norfolk, no one would question when the baby was born. Because out of sight, out of mind. Fair. Uh, the Kents were happy and in love by all accounts. Uh, William managed the inn and the Stoke Ferry post office, so everything was going well. Uh, when Elizabeth was in her third trimester... And she had had a very, very rough pregnancy. So her sister, Frances, a.k.a. Fanny, moved in to keep her older sister company and help out with the housekeeping and the baby when it arrived. Sadly, Elizabeth died very shortly after an incredibly difficult childbirth, most likely from something called childbed fever, which is a uterine infection. Yes. Very common. Uh, the, Dirty hands. Uh, the baby, a boy named William Jr., was born, quote-unquote, sickly and died in November when he was two months old. Oh. Uh, with William devastated by the double loss, Fanny volunteered to stay on for a while longer and take care of both William and the house. And in a surprise to no one, no things one. between William and Fanny turned romantic pretty quickly. Uh, unfortunately, Elizabeth and Fanny's family blamed William for Elizabeth's death and were pissed to learn that she had left most of her inheritance to William in her will. Uh, needless to say, the Lyons family weren't fans of William at all, so he and Fanny, again, kept their relationship a secret. Uh, to add to his already heavy heart, William's mother died near the end of November, not long after his son. Jesus Christ. Uh, however, she left her son a large sum of money, which meant he'd be able to buy out the remainder of his contract with the inn and leave the house where he'd been hit with multiple tragedies. Uh, he got in touch with his friend, Augustine Levy, an attorney in London, to see if he'd be able to marry Fanny. Uh, they wanted to get married as soon as possible. However, at the time, there was a little thing known as canon law, which literally made it impossible for them to get legally married. Uh, according to Levy, since William and Elizabeth's son was born and lived, although briefly, uh, it was illegal for him to marry Fanny <clears throat> because of that living child between what was like Fanny's brother-in-law and her sister. They're like, ah, nope, Catholic Church says no, and that is the law right now for everybody, even if you're not Catholic. Um, so in January of 1759, Fanny went back home to live with her brother, and uh, William moved into a London apartment. They wrote letters to each other frequently. It was kind of they were trying to not be together because they couldn't get married, and that was a bummer. But they wrote letters, and William later shared that he had constantly received letters from the young lady filled with repeated entreaties to spend the rest of their lives together, and notwithstanding this caution of his in going to London, her affections were not to be stifled or eradicated from her breast. That was something that he actually said. So that was uh, when Henry VIII, when Catherine of Aragon married his brother, older brother Arthur. Arthur mm -hmm. died. Yep. And Henry wanted to marry Catherine. The whole fucking thing was whether or not she actually had sex with Arthur. Canon law. So if she had, 
then she could never have married mm-hmm. his brother. She could have married someone else. Yeah. But she could have never married, married his, his brother. brother. Yep. So that was the big thing between Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. It was the whole, is there a curse, is because she swore up and down, as did her ladies-in-waiting, that they never actually consummated mm-hmm. the marriage, yeah. whether or not they did or didn't. Yeah. And that was just knows. one one of many parts of canon law. It, it's yes. a whole oh, yes. weird fucking thing. It's a whole bunch of shit. I think That's just one there are, I want to say thing. 12 main yeah. rules, and it was fucking nuts. Um, so anyway, despite disapproval from her family, Fanny eventually moved to London to be with William. Um, and I think it was about five months they were apart. Uh, they decided to say that they were married and just go from there. Um, in fact, both of them went as far as changing their wills, making each other the main or sole beneficiary of their estates. They're like, nobody has to know that we're not actually married. It's totally fine. Uh, In any case, they rented a room together as Mr. and Mrs. Kent. Things were going well until their landlord found out that they weren't married. Mm. After that, he refused to pay William the roughly 20 pounds he had borrowed. So William contacted the police and had the landlord arrested and thrown in jail. Uh, While 20 pounds doesn't sound like a lot of money, it was the 1700s. And it was the equivalent of over a little... It was a little over four thousand pounds, or fifty five hundred dollars, as of two thousand nineteen. When you said twenty pounds, oh Jesus! I heard you say Tony pounds. Sure, I don't I think like, that I did. Who? <laughs> nope. Oh, good old Tony pounds over here. Nah, no, nope. Certainly didn't. Dee would have laughed at that if she was in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I don't. Nope. Mm-mm. No. So, yeah, 20 pounds his landlord borrowed. And he's like, okay, well, if you're going to kick me out, then I'm going to throw your ass in jail for not paying back a loan. Uh, also, did I forget to mention that William had taken up a new career in London? Because he did. He was a loan shark. Oh. Uh, well, he was a usurer, which is the same thing as a loan shark. Okay. Where he would loan people money and charge them incredible interest. interest rates. Yeah. Um, some say some sources called him a stockbroker instead of a loan shark, which is eventually true because they are two different things. But he started out as basically a loan shark. So <clears throat> William was simultaneously good and terrible at his job mm. because he was an incredibly trusting person. But I will come back to that in a little bit. So with their previous landlord in jail over refusal to pay a loan, William and Fanny were forced to find a new place to live. And they were in a bit of a rush because Fanny was about four months pregnant. So William started asking around to see if anybody knew of a place that they could stay for a while, but there weren't really any leads until they went to church one morning and met Richard Parsons, the church's clerk. Uh, He was a fairly well-respected member of the community, though everyone knew he was a bit of a lush. Uh, William and Parsons struck up a conversation, and as luck would have it, Parsons had a room for rent at his house on Cock Lane. Mm. Yes, Dick Parsons of <laughs> Cock Lane. I will give you that one, and only that one. Oh, not not the story name in general. Oh no no, that additional Dick one. Parsons you of get Cock that. Lane. 
or Dear Tony Pounds. Person. Which is not a thing that <laughs> I said. You missed it. She said 20 pounds referring to money. I did. And I heard Tony Pounds. Like a Sopranos character. Yeah. And, and his big dick? Yeah, just a fucking... <laughs> Not even at all, because I didn't say it was a person. Motherfucker, Tony Pounds over here. My name here. is Tony Pounds. Fucking plowing through it. Oh. Nope. Pull, pull, It's not a thing pull. that happened. Cax. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, please do go on. <laughs> I'm not going to finish this story. Right. I'm going home and going to bed. Continue, Danielle. <laughs> Cax. Um... Uh, so, they moved into the house along with their very red-haired maid, Esther Carrots Carlisle. Stop it! I can't. <laughs> because that is a person that existed in the Esther story. Carrots. And she's important. Uh, but everything initially seemed to be going really well for everybody. Uh, Mrs. Parsons, another Elizabeth, and her daughters, Betty, also Elizabeth, who was 10, and their other daughter, Anne, who was six, they got along well with Fanny, and Parsons and William seemed to get on straight away. Fucking Told you. Betty Elizabeth, Ca- Jane, or Anne. All of them. Betty Carrots and Tony Pounds over here. <laughs> and Esther, and apparently. Uh, so everybody was getting along really well. William loaned Parsons 12 guineas, which is about 1,300 pounds or nearly $1,800 today. With the caveat that Parsons would repay William one guinea per month until the debt was repaid. So he's giving him a year to repay the debt. That shouldn't be a currency. Uh, it shouldn't be too shocking to find out that Parsons spent most of his money on gin at the Wheat Sheaf, which was a local pub run by his friend James Franzen. Because, again, he was a lush. Um, a few months after moving in with the Parsons family, William and Fanny received an invitation to a wedding out of town. Fanny wasn't able to go due to her pregnancy, but William went ahead without her. And while he was gone, the haunting of Cock Lane would begin. Cock Lane. Did the... Parsons family travel around in a bus? They really didn't. And that, that was, was the, the Partridge, Partridge family, family and Cochrane. And no. Partridge. Uh, I don't think there were buses in 1760. There were not. I'm going to say that they were. No, there were and not they traveled buses. Around on a nope. bus. Nope. Time traveling. Nope. Haunting cocks. But absolutely yeah, I get that not. Though. Haunted dicks. Uh, not in this story. Oh, well. Not, no. You just get the fun name. You don't get any haunted penises. (laughs) Uh, So, before he left for the wedding, William asked Betty, the 10-year-old, to keep Fanny company and help her out around the house while he was gone, which was something that she was all too excited to do. Uh, The girl did as she was asked and even slept with Fanny at night to make sure she wasn't alone. Um, one night, though, Fanny was woken up by scratching sounds that seemed to be coming from inside the walls. Uh, thinking a little of it, she went back to bed, but the next night, the scratching returned, waking both Fanny and Betty. This time, however, the scratching was accompanied by knocking. Uh, when they told Mrs. Parsons what had happened the next morning, she said it must have been the cobbler working into the night a few houses away. It wasn't, because he nor anyone else at the time, worked on Sundays, and it happened on a Sunday evening. I don't work on Sundays either. Right? I don't either. So one night, Fanny woke up. Shomer Shabbos. uh, She woke up Parsons and his wife to have them check out the noises for themselves. They couldn't explain it, but just kind of tried to ignore it as best they could. And when William got back from the wedding, the noises stopped. Shomer fucking Shabbos. Yep. Uh, Trusting soul that William 
was he had actually told Parsons about his dearly departed Elizabeth and that he and Fanny weren't truly married. Uh, Parsons didn't kick them out, but he did keep that information in his back pocket. Uh, It definitely put a damper on Parsons and William's relationship. And shortly after he returned from the wedding, William confronted Parsons and told him that if the loan wasn't immediately repaid in full, that he would take Parsons to court. Uh, Went over about as well as you would expect, with Parsons letting William know in no uncertain terms that he would happily tell anyone who would listen that the Kents had been living in sin. Sin! Uh, With that, William Carrots and a heavily pregnant Fanny moved into a small apartment nearby. Uh, Once in the new place, Fanny started feeling sick and was pretty sure she was in the beginning stages of labor. So William called in Dr. Thomas Cooper, who diagnosed Fanny with virulent eruptive fever. The fuck is that? Uh, We'll get there in just a second. Uh, Word. The doctor recommended that they move out of the new apartment, which was barely habitable, as soon as possible. Uh, William contacted some builders that had been working on their permanent residence throughout all of this. Uh, and they were able to move into the unfinished home later that same day. Unfortunately, Fanny's health began to decline further, beginning with a rash on her face, and soon enough she was diagnosed with smallpox. Oh, no. The doctor let William and Fanny know that her prognosis wasn't good and that she had maybe days to live. Oh, Jesus. Uh, At the end of January, she met with her attorney and changed her will to make William the beneficiary, though William insisted that she didn't need to change her will at all, but if she was going to, she should leave something to her siblings. So she did. A half a crown each, which is roughly 50 pounds or $69 today. 69 To each of her living siblings. Nice. I mean, Uh, anything helps. Yeah. Knowing that there wasn't much time left, William called one of Fanny's estranged family members, her younger sister, Anne, who lived nearby and invited her to come see her sister. Uh, When Anne arrived, she thought William had exaggerated her sister's condition, and the next day, she sent one of her servants to check on Fanny instead of going herself. Uh, It wasn't great. She was disoriented, unable to speak, and suffering from convulsions. Ah, Fanny. Uh, Later that evening, February 2nd, 1760, Fanny and the baby died. Uh, She was buried initially in an unmarked coffin, Uh, though a nameplate reading Francis Kent was later added in the vaults of St. John's Clerkenwell. Um, He didn't put a name down at first because he didn't know which one to put, her actual name or the fake married name of Francis Kent or Francis Lines, because he did not want to get in trouble since they weren't actually married. Ah. Yeah. And he's like, that can still come back on me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But... We lived as man and wife, so I'm putting my name on it. Fair. Um, so, the Lyons family, they already despised William Kate, William Kent, but they really hated him after they found out that Fanny had died. Because she was completely estranged from her family up until she caught smallpox. They're like, you're going to die in like four days. Um Fuck. So, one of her older brothers had died around the same time, leaving a portion of his estate, which included some land, to Fanny. And with her passing and the recent changes to her will, that money and property went to William. Uh, The Lyons family tried to sue William over it, but Fanny's will had been ironclad. And they also were ordered by the court to pay him some kind of money, Mm -hmm. for some reason that I forgot. But he was like... No, I don't. You don't have to do that. Don't please don't. 
So he wasn't a bad guy. They just really, truly hated him. Um, <clears throat> William remarried about a year later and then became a stockbroker, but his troubles were far from over. Uh, in January of 1762, William Kent sued Richard Parsons for the remaining three guineas he was owed, and while petty, the court ruled in his favor and Parsons was made to pay up. Needless to say, he was pissed. Uh, to add insult to the injury of losing a chunk of his drinking money, his latest tenant, Catherine Friend, had recently moved out because the scratching and knocking had returned and was too much for her to take. Uh, Parsons invited James Franzen over to the house one evening to check out the noises for himself. While there, he claimed to see the apparition of a young woman appear out of nowhere and walk up the stairs before disappearing. Boo, uncomfortable. Yeah, terrified. Franzen Scooby-Dude right the fuck out of there. Scooby, motherfucking And uh, went back to his pub. Just a few minutes later, Parsons walked in and yelled, Give me the largest glass of brandy you have. He had also allegedly seen the ghostly woman and needed to drink about it. So the men sat drinking brandy and talking about what they just witnessed and came to the conclusion that the spirit must have been Elizabeth Lines, Fanny's sister and William's deceased wife who had returned from the grave because she was pissed about her husband and sister shacking up. I mean... Yeah. After Fanny had died, the noises returned in what had been her room, leading Parsons and Franzen to conclude that Fanny had returned with a message from the beyond. Uh, Parsons' daughter, Betty, uh, had been having terrifying fits, and the sounds seemed to be coming from or following her, leading Parsons to believe that she was possessed. Uh, he had the wainscoting, or wood paneling, removed yes. from around Betty's bed, as most of the sounds seemed to be coming from there, but the noises continued. Yeah, that's not how that works. No. Uh, objects allegedly moved on their own in her presence. Uh, he called upon assistant preacher John Moore to step in and see if he could help with the haunting. Moore, known for his Methodist practices, which was new at the time... Uh, was eager to assist and was immediately like, yes, this is absolutely a ghost, but we got to get more info, so let's talk to it and see what it wants. Okay. Uh, so Parsons and Moore devised a system in order to communicate with the spirit that was haunting uh, the house, one knock for yes and two for no. So after the initial seance, the men concluded that the spirit was Elizabeth Lyons and she had come back... Uh, to warn Fanny of her impending death. After this, people started coming to the house to experience the alleged haunting for themselves, and multiple seances were conducted, mostly over Betty's bed while she was in it to prove she wasn't making the noises herself. Uh, she was usually in a nightgown, and sometimes her hand were bound. Uh, on one occasion, they had her sleep in a hammock in front of a crowd of looky-loos to prove that she wasn't making the noises. Uh, which did continue to happen while she was sleeping. During one of the seances, a bombshell was dropped. Fanny was the Cock Lane ghost responsible for all the scratching. And the why? Well, here is an account of that night. Are you Miss Fanny? One knock, which means yes. Are you the wife of Mr. Kent? Two knocks for no, because they were not married. Did you die naturally? Two knocks. Or no. Uh, oh. By poison. One knock. Do you know what kind of poison it was? One knock. Was it arsenic? One knock. Ayo. Did any person other than Mr. Kent administer it? 
two knocks? Was it given to you in gruel? Two knocks. In beer? One knock. At this point, someone in the audience said that Fanny hadn't liked beer, but was a fan of Pearl, which was a mixture of ale and gin. And the question was reworded. That disgusting. It truly does. Uh, but it was asked again, which was questionable at best. Was it not in Pearl? One knock. How long did you live after taking it? Three knocks, believed to mean three hours. Did Carrots know of you being poisoned? One knock. Did you tell her? One knock. How long was it after you took it before you told her? One knock, believed to mean one hour. So the news of a potential murder hit the papers and a scandal was born. William Kent remained unaware until reading the public ledger one day and coming across the story of Frances Lines, whose spirit had claimed that her ex-lover had poisoned her using arsenic. Naturally, he was pissed. He confronted Moore and said that he wanted to speak with this alleged ghost himself. A few days later, he returned to the house on Cock Lane and witnessed a seance for himself, during which the ghost claimed that Carrots, who was also in attendance, had known of the poisoning, which she vehemently denied. In fact, she questioned the ghost herself, asking, Are you my mistress? Which was uh, one knock followed by scratches. Jesus. Are you angry with me, madam? <clears throat> one knock. Then I am sure, madam, you may be ashamed of yourself, for I never hurt you in my life. One onlooker yelled out, Kent, ask, if this, ask this ghost if you shall be hanged, he asked, and one knock was heard in response, to which William responded, Thou art a lying spirit, thou art not the ghost of my fanny, she would never have said any such thing. Uh, Mary Fraser, who was a relative of Richard Parsons, had attended the previous seances and essentially claimed to be able to communicate with Fanny herself. Uh, but Betty was the only one who actually saw the spirit during the seances, so she claims. Uh. Uh, that evening, Mary Fraser claimed that Fanny wasn't appearing because there was too much noise, and Parson cleared out of the room, or Parson had the room cleared out for ten minutes to get things back on track. Suspect and highly questionable, mm -hmm. of course. Uh, and as expected, shit turned into a circus, with Parsons charging admission into his house to experience the haunting. Uh, it also got so insane at one point that the streets surrounding the home were completely packed with visitors, and even Prince Edward, the Duke of York, showed up to take a look. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, the doctors that had attended to Fanny in her final days were both like, uh, no, she definitely died of smallpox. Um, so it was decided that the only way to prove... Kent's innocence or guilt, depending on which side you were on, was to open up Fanny's coffin and see if her body had signs of smallpox or if she had, in fact, not decomposed at all, because that was going to be some kind of sign of arsenic poisoning and, and possibly witchcraft, who knows. Uh, now, keep in mind, it had been roughly two years since she died. So oh, boy. Yuck. Uh, once they'd opened the casket, Fanny's decomposing corpse was discovered. Uh, not long after this, shit started to go south for Parsons. Uh, to test the validity of their claims, Betty was taken out of the home to see if the spirit would communicate while she was gone. Spoiler alert, nothing happened. Uh, people also started to wonder why the spirit was only active and responsive at night, as when they'd attempted to contact it during the daylight hours, nothing would happen. There were other lines of questioning that went on, and the answers, did, like, uh, I believe William Parsons asked a question that he knew the answer to, and another person in the room also knew the answer, and the knock in response was 
the wrong answer. And that happened a few times. Okay. Where it's like, I'm going to ask a question, and then you gave me the wrong answer. So, that happened. Um, eventually, several witnesses caught Betty, the quote-unquote artful little girl, with pieces of wood, some of which she'd hid underneath her clothes, uh, making the knocking sounds herself, revealing the whole ordeal to be a scam. Uh, William Kent, who'd been shunned as a murderer, took Parsons, Mrs. Parsons, Betty, Mary Fraser, and a slew of others to court for defaming his character. Uh, the trial lasted about 13 hours, and after only 15 minutes of deliberation, pretty much everyone involved was found guilty of the hoax and conspiracy against William Kent. Uh, Mary Fraser was sentenced to six months of hard labor, Mrs. Parsons received a year in prison, and others were made to pay a fine of 50 pounds each. As for Richard Parsons, he was sentenced to two years in prison and three public stints in the pillory. Random lesson time. I always assumed the pillory was the same as the stocks, but they are not. The pillory is the one you stand with your head and hands through, and the stocks were on your ankles or your ankles and wrists. Got it. Yeah. So the thing in Salem that we stood there, that is a pillory. pillory. Stocks are for the bottom half. I was like, oh, the Good more you know. know, I guess. So after that, whatever happened to the Parsons family and William Kent is largely unknown, though Parsons would claim his innocence for the rest of his days. The house at Cock Lane was torn down in 1979, but the area still exists, and I hear it's quite lovely. 1979. Yeah, it was there for a fucking... From 17... 17... What? Sometime in the 1700s. Yeah. I wish. Dude. I <laughs> fucking wish. Uh, yeah. So as for the legend of Fanny Lyons and the haunting, uh, it inspired many works, including a feature in Charles Dickens' Nicholas Nickleby with the character of Mrs. Nickleby claiming that her great-grandfather, quote-unquote, went to school with the Cock Lane ghost. And that is the wild ride of Scratching Fanny and the Cock Lane haunting slash ghost. In Terrace and Cock Lane. Mm-hmm. Yep. Motherfucking uh, Tony Pounds and Betty Carrots. <laughs> in Cock Lane. <laughs> She's not impressed with us. I'm not. Also, because Betty Carrots was not a person. That's two different people. Nope. Don't care. Sounds good, though. Um, But, yeah, apparently also Cock Lane was named because at one point it had been... Cox? Kind of. It was a red light district. Cox. Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah. Cock Lane. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Savage. Uh, Sources, Wikipedia, ianvisits.co.uk, ianmansfield.dailymail.co.uk, spookyisles.com, rickhale, theladydicks.com, historycollection.com, Natasha Sheldon, burialsandbeyond.com, Kate Sherrill, nationalarchives.gov.uk, historicallondontours.com, Tom Curry, uh... WhyTodayIsBrilliant.wordpress.com, from bedroom to study.blogspot.com, Mick Hartley, whores of your Twitter, whores of your. Yep, digpodcast.com, Marissa Rhodes and Elizabeth Garner, Masaryk, Poisoner's Cabinet Podcast, Sinead Hanna and Nick Gordon, and Dark Histories Podcast, Ben Cutmore. Delightful. So, I have a story. And as I was writing this story, I was telling Z earlier as we were walking to the bar, I was like, girl, like, 
literally midway through, I'm like, Z did this. We've done this. It's been covered. No, it hasn't. Yes, it has. Like, but it's also one of those things that has been on my list and it's like, I'll go to and I almost start and then I don't. So now like my brain's all fucked up. So I don't know if she's actually done it or if I'm like, anyway, so this could be a Rita. We about to find out. It, it is so today. I'm gonna talk about the fucking Ketty Cabin murders. No, I did not. I did the Solder Kids, okay, which is well, similar. Okay, well, you know, good, then then good. But here's the thing: like the entire time, it's like I have a memory of you talking about this. I probably talked about it then because it was the weird. Uh, there was hitchhiking involved. I have a memory, but. And then I was like, no, no. So I literally had to go through and scroll through our Instagram. I'm like, fuck, I don't see the photos. But it's so weird. It's one of those things where I have a memory of you doing it, but it didn't happen. No, we had it on the list of potential Patreon episodes, too. So that could have been part of it. Because I know we've talked about it before. Just in general, but not on the show. Here we go. Yeah. So this case is a case that some of you may or may not know. It is currently still unsolved and active. But I will touch on that more at the end as there are some recent updates. The case, however, could have and should have been solved damn near 40 fucking years ago. Mm -hmm. But it did nay, and here we go. In July of 1979, Glenna Susan Sue Sharp, along with her five children, John, Sheila, Tina, Rick, and Greg, left their home in Connecticut after Sue left her abusive husband, James Sharp. James was an active-duty Navy man, and after moving all over the country, once they hit the East Coast, the marriage seemed to implode. According to reports, he was abusive towards Sue and may have become inappropriate with Mm -hmm. his young daughters. Uh... Sue, deciding to relocate to Northern California where her brother Don was living at the time, arrived in California. She began to, uh, she rented a small trailer formerly occupied by her brother at the Claremont Trailer Village in Quincy, which is a small town in the Sierra Nevada mountains. The following fall, Sue and her children, then uh, John, who was now 15, Sheila, 14, Tina, 12, Rick 10 and Greg 5 moved to number 28 in the Keddie Resort in the nearby rural town of our community, I should say, of Keddie. Now, Sheila, who was um, 14, had actually been sent away to give birth mm-hmm. and had come back sans baby to uh, rejoin the family. So, um, the cabin was thankfully much larger than, than, wow, words, than the trailer and had become available when the then county sheriff, Sylvester Douglas Thomas, had moved out. Keep that name in your head. On April 11th, 1981, around 11.30 a.m., Sue, Sheila, and Greg drove from their friend's house, the Meeks family, where they had been hanging out, to pick up Rick, 
who was at baseball tryouts at Gansner Field in Quincy. As Sue was driving home, they came across John and his friend Dana Hall Wingate, who was a dude, hitchhiking at the mouth of the canyon from Quincy to Ketty, so she picked them up and then drove everyone home to the cabin. Two hours later, around 3.30 p.m., John and Dana hitchhiked back to Quincy, where they had plans to hang out with some friends. It was later reported that the two were seen in the city's downtown area that afternoon. That evening, Sheila had plans to spend the night with the Seabolt family, who had lived in the cabins as well, while Sue remained at home with Rick Gregg and the boy's young friend, 12-year-old Justin Smart, whose family lived in cabin 26. So, the the, the cabins, it was like a... I, when I say resort, it's, it's not... It, imagine like a trailer park, but with cabins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it was like one of those places where like people a, a could semi permanent where people could situation. you would think it's like yeah I'm gonna go there and rent in the winter but people actually live there year round okay yep. so um, Sheila left the house shortly after eight p.m. and Tina who had been watching television at the Seabolts home because they didn't have one left and returned home to number twenty eight around nine thirty p.m. After Sheila had gotten there to stay the night. So, Tina's 12, Sheila's 14. They kind of switched. Sheila mm-hmm. was there watching TV. Tina's like, I'm going to stay the night there. Anyway. Um, so, Tina went home, number 28, around 9.30 p.m. Sheila went, stayed at the Seabolts. And now, literally nothing good happens after this. Around 7 a.m. on the morning of April 12th, Sheila, who was going to go to church with the Seabolts, and who y'all will remember is only fucking 14 years old, woke up and went home to number 28, where she discovered the dead bodies of her mother, Sue, as well as her brother, John, and his friend, Dana, all in the living room. All three had been bound with medical tape and electrical cords. The three younger children, Rick, Greg, and Justin, who was there for the sleepover, would be found asleep and unharmed in the bedroom. Now, the initial report stated that the three young boys had slept through whatever the fuck happened, although this would later be contradicted by Justin, but I will get there. So, Sheila runs back to the Seabolt's house, where she and Mrs. Seabolt ran to cabin number 25, which was the landlord's cabin, and was also the nearest working telephone in the resort. They called the police. Meanwhile, the Seabolt's son, Jamie, ran to number 28, went to the bedroom window, not knowing if an intruder was still in the house, to get the kids out. Sheila Seabolt, with Mrs. Seabolt, called the police. Uh, I'm sorry, Sheila, with Mrs. Seabolt, called the police. So Jamie wakes the kids up. Rick, Greg, and Justin come out through the window. However, 12-year-old Tina was not with them. Hmm. Jamie would later admit to having briefly entered the home through the back door up the stairs to see if anyone was still alive, which potentially contaminated evidence in the process, but I will get to all of that. So now, the crime scene was brutal. Plumas County sheriffs arrived and began to process the scene. Deputy Hank Clement was the first to arrive, and he reported blood literally fucking everywhere. 
on the walls, the bottoms of the victim's shoes, Sue's bare feet, the bedding in Tina's room, the furniture, the ceiling, the doors, and on the back steps. There's blood fucking everywhere. Mm -hmm. So the prevalence of blood suggested to investigators that the victims may have been moved and rearranged from the positions in which they were murdered, but the blood spatter evidence indicated that no matter what, all murders had taken place in the living room. And notably, there were also stab marks in the walls. Mm -hmm. The sheriffs first encountered the body of 15-year-old John Sharp. His wrist and ankles had been bound with electrical cord and medical tape. His throat was slit. John had been stabbed multiple times and his head was beaten in with what was later determined to be a claw hammer. Sue's body was found next to the couch, lying on its side. She was nude from the waist down. A blood-soaked yellow blanket was covering her body, and she had been gagged with a blue bandana and her own panties, which had been secured with tape. Sue's ligatures, though, were by far the most complicated. Her wrists and ankles were bound with medical tape, and over the tape was an electrical cord looped and knotted several times. Over that was another loop of strongle, strongle, Strongle is not a word. Truly is not. Another loop of stronger electrical cord knotted and connected to a third length of cord that went down and looped around her ankles. And then another length of wire was tied to her ankles, binding them together. And the cord between her ankles and wrists were so tight that her drew, it drew her knees up. Ugh. So I'm sure you all can get that picture. So clearly Sue... Was was more of a primary target, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because she was the most bound. Yes, it's more, it feels like more of a, that was the target, and the others were consequences. Unexpected consequences. You are good. We are good. I will get there. This has been on my list for a long time. Yeah. So, <laughs> she had been stabbed in the chest, and her throat was stabbed horizontally, the wound going through her larynx and nicking her spine. It was pretty fucking savage. It's a very deep wound. And it was very, in my opinion, personal. Yeah. Uh, her head was beaten, but not with a hammer, like the others. She had been beaten with the butt of a Daisy 880 BB gun, which sounds very fucking specific, but the model was identified by a small piece of the gun that had broken off. Now, although Sue was naked from the waist down, law enforcement said that there was no sign of sexual assault. So in between Sue and John's bodies was John's friend, 17-year-old Dana Wingate. He had also been beaten with a hammer like John. He was face down on a sofa pillow. And just like Sue and John, his wrists and ankles had been bound with electrical cord and medical tape. But unlike the other two victims, Dana's body showed signs of manual strangulation. He had not been beaten with anything. Mm. Autopsies would later determine that both Sue and John died from the knife wounds and blunt force trauma, while Dana died of asphyxiation. A hammer and butcher knife were found next to the bodies, and a second knife, a steak knife from the Sharps kitchen, was found And it had been used so aggressively that the blade was bent backwards at a 30-degree angle. Right. 
Law enforcement looked for a second hammer, believing, like with the knives, more than one had been used, but a second hammer was never located at the scene. There was a bloody shoe print found outside. It would take law enforcement hours, however, to realize that 12-year-old Tina was fucking missing. Mm -hmm. And when it was finally discovered, the FBI was called and finally arrived on the scene. Cabin 28 was sealed for six days to gather every bit of evidence they could. There was blood found on Tina's sheets, which they thought could have been rape. It could have been accident. It could have been mm-hmm. anything. But it was also the only area than the living, other than the living room that was ever disturbed. So now what the fucking fuck? How did no one hear anything. Really good question. So the cabins weren't that far apart, not to mention there were three young boys sleeping in the bedroom literally adjacent to the living room where the murders took place. Mm-hmm. And the, neither the Seabolts nor Sheila, who was staying at their home next door, heard any commotion during the night. However, a couple living in nearby cabin 16 said that they were woken up at around 1.15 a.m. by what they thought sounded like muffled screams, but they couldn't find anything. So now if the couple in cabin 16 thought they heard muffled screams enough to wake them up, how in the hell did three boys in the adjacent bedroom not hear shit? And where the fuck was Tina? Mm-hmm. Investigators found that they found Tina's jacket, shoes, and a toolbox containing various tools were all missing from the home, which showed no indication of forced entry, by the way, and the house's telephone, which was back in the days of landlines, y'all, had been taken off the hook and the cord was cut from the wall. The drapes had been closed as well. So, the sheriff at the time of the murders, Doug Thomas, and his deputy... Lieutenant Don Stoy, were not initially able to find any apparent motive which made the murders at Keddie Cabin 28 seemingly random. The strangest thing was that there was no apparent motive. Any case without an apparent motive is the toughest to stall. To, mm. <laughs> is, <laughs> yep, nope, shut that pie hole. The strangest thing is that there is no apparent motive. Any case without an apparent motive is the toughest to solve. Story recalled to the Sacramento Bee in 1987. So, allegedly, a lot of potential evidence was collected at the scene. But because this was pre-DNA testing, very little helpful information was found Mm -hmm. at the time. So, Sheriff Thomas called the Sacramento Department of Justice, who then sent in two special agents from their organized crime unit. Not homicide. Organized crime. Which struck many people as odd. Because it is. Now, like I said at the beginning, this is still very much an unsolved and active case. Law enforcement currently, to this day, has six potential living suspects. In December of 1983, detectives ruled out serial killers Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole as potential suspects. They are both currently dead. 
I'm but pretty sure they said they did it because that's just they, what they that's did. That's what they do. Exactly. <sighs> Fucking turds. But there were two suspects in particular that stood out. That was neighbor Martin Smart, who was Justin Smart's stepfather. Smartin. And his house guest, ex-convict, John Bo Budebe, who was known to have connections to organized crime. Now, both men had been seen in suits and ties, behaving oddly in the bar the night before the murders. Martin Smart later told the police that he had a hammer, which matched one of the one discovered at the crime scene, but that his hammer had gone missing shortly before the murders. Yeah, which is a weird fucking piece of information to volunteer, uh-huh. my guy. Be like, oh yeah, I got a hammer that looked just like that. It disappeared. It just disappeared. I don't know where it is. Don't know. Uh, hey, That's buddy. not it, but it looked like that. Hey, friend. So uh, then, I need you to come with me. Yeah. So then later that year, a knife was recovered in a trash can outside the Keddy General Store, and authorities also believe that this item could be linked to the crimes. Plumas County Sheriff Sylvester Thomas later stated that Martin had provided endless clues in the case that seemed to throw suspicion away from him. In addition to interviewing the smarts, detectives interviewed numerous other locals and neighbors, several including the the Seabolt family, all recalled seeing a green van parked at the Sharps' house around 9 p.m. that evening of the murders. So now... Remember how I said Justin would change his story? Mm-hmm. Well, he gave conflicting stories that evening. First, he said that he had been asleep and heard nothing. Then he said that he dreamt something happening in the house. Then he would later claim to have actually witnessed something happening in the house. In his later account of events, under hypnosis, by the way, Justin claimed to have woken up to the sounds coming from the living room while asleep in the bedroom with Rick and Greg. Getting up to see what the fuck was going on, he saw Sue with two men, one with a mustache and short hair, the other clean-shaven with long hair. Both wore glasses. According to Justin, John and Dana then entered the home and began heatedly arguing with the men. So, John and Dana... It, it was supposed to have just been Sue with the little kids. John and mm-hmm. Dana just, remember, they had hitchhiked to town. They were partying. They just happened to come back. Yup. So a fight broke out, after which Tina then comes into the room, woke her up, and then she was immediately taken out of the cabin by uh, via back door by one of the men, and he came back in without her. Based on Justin's descriptions, Composite sketches of the two unknown men were produced by Harlan Embry, a man with literally no training in forensic sketching, and it was never explained why law enforcement chose to use an amateur who sometimes volunteered to help out Reno PD. Mm. But okay. So, they had access to the DOJ and FBI's top forensic artists. But they chose to go with this volunteer dude who had no training. But okay. That's not a no. poor choice. So in press releases accompanying the sketches, the suspects were described as being in their late 20s to early 30s. One stood 5'11". 
um, to six feet two with dark blonde hair. The other between five six and five ten with black greased hair. Now, if you look at the photos of these two men, yep. Mm-hmm. So both wore gold framed glasses, which I mean, who didn't? Everybody did. Dahmer to glasses. To be fair, they're Dahmer glasses. Every legit. man that had glasses. You have Dahmer glasses. I do have Dahmer glasses. So Dahmer glasses were a thing. They. So there yes. you go. They're flattering. What do you want from right. me? Right. So. Rumors regarding the crimes being ritualistic or motivated by drug trafficking were dismissed by Plumas County Sheriff Doug Thomas, who stated in the week following the murders that no drug paraphernalia or illegal drugs were found in the home. Carla McMullen, a family acquaintance, later told detectives that Dana Wingate had recently stolen an unknown quantity of LSD from local drug dealers, although she was unable to provide any proof. Yeah. Of this it wasn't claim. he kind of like one of those 17. kids. Kind of like a little bit of a Yeah, he was fucking like a bad boy. Yeah, he wasn't seventeen. Like for the time period, it was kind of like River Phoenix in Stand yeah. By Me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. He was a, he was a decent enough yeah. kid. He just, you know, uh, kind of yep. did what he wanted. So now back to Martin and Bo. Martin was known to be a dangerous man with an obsession with the Bible and preached to people he thought had impure morals. That's never, that's definitely never a creepy uh-huh. thing. And Martin or had a red su- flag. Right. And Martin had supposedly around the time of the murders become involved in the drug business through his new, well, not new, new old friend, John Bo Budebe. As per statements, the two had struck up a friendship when they met at the hospital Martin was admitted to uh, due to PTSD from serving in Vietnam. Budebe was a known felon with robbery and home invasion convictions and associations with uh, the Chicago Mafia. Oh, boy. Right. Both men were the prime suspects in the case, but without any tangible evidence, both men were told by Sheriff Thomas to leave town after the murders. Oh, Sheriff Thomas. That's not how that works. Martin left Keddy and went to Reno, and Bo went to Chicago. That's, uh... So now, Tina's disappearance. Let's get back to fucking Tina. Hello. Child's entirely fucking missing. Literally vanished. Yeah. Tina's disappearance was initially investigated by the FBI as a possible abduction. And it's not fucking possible. She was abducted. Yeah. Though it was reported on April 29th, 1981, that the FBI had backed off the search as the Department of Justice was doing an adequate job and made the FBI's presence unnecessary. Horse shit. Yeah. So a grid pattern search of the area covering a five mile radius around the house was conducted with police canines. However, they found nothing. Then on April 22nd, 1984, three years and 11 days after the murders, three years, a bottle collector that was oot and a boot discovered a cranium portion of a human skull and part of a mandible at Camp 18 near Feather Falls in neighboring Butte County, which is about 60 to 80 miles away. And near those remains, detectives would later find a blue nylon jacket, a blanket, a pair of Levi jeans with a missing back pocket, and an empty surgical tape dispenser. Mm -hmm. 
Not long after announcing the discovery, Butte County Sheriff's Office received an anonymous call where the caller said, I was wondering if they thought of the murder up in Ketty up in Plumas County a couple years ago where a 12-year-old girl was never found. But that call was never documented in the case. In fact, the tape of the anonymous tip regarding Tina Sharp was found sealed in in the case files untouched by Plumas County Sheriff's Department until 2013. When the case was reopened with new investigators, Plumas County Sheriff Greg Hagwood and Special Investigator Mike Gamberg, but I'm going to get to them in a second. So, the remains found at Camp 18 were confirmed in June of 1984 by a forensic pathologist to be those of Tina Sharp. And the triple homicide was now a quadruple homicide. Quadruple homicide and abduction. But the case went cold and nothing happened after Tina's remains were found and the Sharp home was demolished in 2004. So, Sheriff Hagwood and Investigator Gamberg are the two men that are responsible for where this this case sits now, today. Mm Mm-hmm. Mike Hamburg was a police officer on the original case in 1981, Mm. but he had been dismissed two weeks into the case after he had an argument with the then Sheriff Thomas. Oh. He was never told why he was Mm. let go. But when he was reinstated, he was not permitted anywhere near the case, which is suspect and highly questionable. I think the problem was that he was actually doing too good of a job, but I will get to that. Mm -hmm. In 1981, at the time of the murders, Greg Hagwood was then a 15-year-old freshman at Quincy High. In fact, he knew both John Sharp and Dana Wingate. So now let's jump to 2013. Hagwood is now the sheriff in Plumas County and in a position to order the case reopened, to which he fucking did. In August of 2013, he asked Gamberg, who had since been retired, to return to investigate the case that he'd been kept from decades earlier. I jumped at the chance, said Gamberg. The case was really fragmented. I basically had to rebuild the case. It was, in fact, a mess, littered with missed opportunities, evidence lost or ignored, If the right things had been done, this thing would have been solved within the weeks of the homicide. Sheriff Hagwood admits that he used to be defensive when he heard criticism of the job his predecessors had done, but no more. Gamberg had new forensic tools to work with, and the backing of his boss, and something that didn't exist in 1981, he had social media. So on March 24th, 2016, a tip came in regarding a hammer that was found that matches the description of the hammer that Marty Smart claimed had gone missing before the murders. And according to Sheriff Hagwood, the location it was found, it would have been intentionally put there. It would not have been accidentally misplaced. Hmm. So... Though his investigation through his investigation it had also come to light that Marilyn Smart, Marty's wife and the mother of Justin, 
Yeah, where the fuck was she? Well, uh, she had left her husband on the day of the murder discovery. Mm-hmm. Afterward, she provided Plumas County Sheriff's Department a handwritten letter sent to her and signed by her estranged husband that said, I've paid the price of your love, and now I've bought it with four people's lives. You tell me we are through? Great. What else do you want? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? This letter was never treated as a confession, nor was it followed up on at the time. Weird. Even though Marilyn admitted in a 2008 documentary, yeah, I see your face. In a 2008 documentary that she thought her husband and his friend Bo were responsible for the murders, Sheriff Doug Thomas contradicted this and stated that Martin had successfully passed a polygraph test. Mm, okay. It was later confirmed that Martin Weird was a close friend. Of Sheriff Thomas. Shocking. So, in 2016, Gamberg met with a counselor at the Reno Veterans Administration, and the anonymous counselor told him that in May of 1981, Martin Smart had confessed to killing Sue and Tina Sharp, saying, I killed the woman and her daughter, but I didn't have anything to do with the boys. He allegedly also told the counselor that Tina was killed to prevent her from identifying as she had witnessed the whole thing. He also said that it was very easy to pass the polygraph test when your friend was the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the DOJ was told about this confession in 1981, they dismissed it as hearsay. Yep, sounds right. So, the theory here... That makes the most sense to me and Gamberg uh, is that there may have been a love triangle between Martin, Marilyn, and Sue. It's believed that Martin and Sue were having an affair mm-hmm. and that Sue was coming in from the backside telling Marilyn to leave her husband because she was telling Sue that he was abusive to her. When Martin discovered this, he enlisted Bo, who was a known mob enforcer who had conveniently moved in with the Smarts just 10 days before the Ketty murders, to take Sue out of the picture. This would account for Marilyn leaving her husband the day of the murder discovery. It would also explain why the, why the smart boy and the other two sharp boys were spared. The two older boys were in the wrong fucking place at the wrong time. They weren't supposed to be there because mm-hmm. they had hitchhiked to town. Yep. They just got there at the wrong fucking time. Yep. Um, and in a later statement by Marilyn Smart, Martin said he hated Johnny Sharp with a passion, so he didn't fucking care. Additionally, it gives context to Martin's handwritten note that Marilyn gave to Plumas County Department. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Gamberg, it's clear that the DOJ and the then Thomas-run Sheriff's Department Covered it up. And um, he alleges that Bo and Martin might have fit into a larger drug smuggling scheme in which the sheriff may have been involved. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Small town. And this might also explain why the Sacramento DOJ sent two allegedly corrupt organized crime special agents instead of agents from the homicide department. 
No one from homicide was ever sent. Yeah. Um, a corrupt sheriff could provide an explanation as to why the two lead suspects were seemingly given a free pass and told to leave town. Mm-hmm. So it could also have been why this case was handled so fucking sloppily. Um, it remains unsolved and is seemingly not a priority to the Sacramento DOJ to this day. So, in an interesting fucking plot twist, both the primary suspects of the case are dead. John Budebe died in 1988. Martin Smart died in 2000 in Portland, Oregon of the cancer. But here's the thing. In 2019, new DNA evidence has pointed investigators to other suspects who may have had a hand in these murders and who are still alive. Now, the DNA is pointing not necessarily to the crime scene itself, but to the disposal of mm. Tina's body. Gotcha. There is other DNA involved. <laughs> and in a statement from Sheriff Hagwood, it's my belief that there were more than two people who were involved in the totality of the crime. The disposal of the evidence and the abduction of the little girl. We're convinced that there are a handful of people that fit those roles who are still alive. And Sheriff Hagwood, in a public statement to these people, had this to say. It is our mission to find you and make sure you're held accountable for what you did. And at the request of Plumas County, Secret Witness has posted a $5,000 reward for information leading to arrest and prosecution and Anyone with information is asked to call the Plumas County Sheriff's Office and we will provide you with the number when we post. Mm -hmm. That is the story of the Keddy Cabin murders. Oh, yes. It's such, it feels like a very obvious solve. Oh, and And that's what he's like, this, this would have... This should have and could have, even despite DNA evidence, yeah. been solved within a week. It gives me very Twin Peaks vibes. It with was the covered small town the fuck up. The drug I, smuggling. Yeah, I mean, this is a tiny, situation. itty bitty, teeny, oh, yeah. tiny, tiny town yeah. in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. It was probably just weed, mm. maybe coke. It's early eighties. Like Cocaine feels more accurate than weed. Uh, potentially in the heroin, early 80s. maybe, but it's early eighties. But man. definitely, coke feels more. Uh, especially sheriff well, covered it the mm-hmm. fuck up. Yep, because he was in on it but too. The love triangle does make the most. Oh sense. yeah, they were, and there was. I listened to a few podcasts that go more into depth on that mm-hmm. affair. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh well, yeah. It does make absolutely sense. Absolutely, it makes a lot of a sense. huge reason. So Sue was trying to get rid of the wife mm-hmm. via the wife. Oh yeah, no, leave that guy, leave that guy. And mm-hmm. he was like, absolutely not. You're my side piece. I want to keep my wife. You're not going to sit here and feed this shit to my wife. Mm-hmm. You've got to go. He had his homie. He's like, yep, no, bet, come sit with me for a minute. Which they were probably already working on the drug issue. Mm-hmm. It, it just and the boys were there at the wrong fucking time. Yep. 
And Tina, same thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So Tina should have stayed asleep. That was the plan. Yep. Sue was the only target. Sue was the only target, and Tina's mistake was coming out of the room. Yep. If Tina had stayed asleep, or pretended to, however, whatever the boys did, she would have been alive. Mm-hmm. Probably. So, anyway, my sources are... TheCinemaholic.com, Deeper Sakar, ScaryCarries.com, nice. Many a Wiki, ABC10.com, Madison Wade, The Murder Squad, Yay. Billy Jensen and Paul Holes, KOLOTV.com, Ed Pierce, All That's Interesting.com, Leah Silverman, and Keddy28. Motherfucking com. Yeah, I loved. Uh, Jensen and Hole's coverage of that one. It's it's really it's a really good story. Yeah, because I love hearing Paul Holes give like insight into like investigations and stuff. Yeah. Uh, also, for those unaware, this story was what the movie The Strangers was based on. Yes. Why are you doing this? Because you are home. Yes. Just yes, one more yes, reason yes. why I'm not going in the fucking woods. It's none of our business. It is none of our fucking business. Yeah, tis nay. Especially at nighttime. Tis nay. Like, I'll occasionally go out there in the in the daytime, but as soon as that sun starts to set, bye, motherfuckers. Speaking of, do you know what's dumb? Mm. It's only 8.30 and it's dark as fuck out and I'm pissed. Nope, I'm ready for it. I'm pissed. Nope. No, ma'am. Oh, you're alone in this studio. Yeah, I'm here for it this year. This year, summer can suck my dick. I don't know why. Usually, I super am into summer, but just not this time. The only reason that I'm sad that it's not dark later is because I can't take my dog out after I've done all of my things. I have to go to bed. It's you dark. I need no. it to be dark when sorry. I go to bed. I'm so sorry. I want the lights. <laughs> I do not. I need it to be dark so I can sleep. And when the sun is out until 9 o'clock. Do you have to work tomorrow? I do. Cut. So We're do done. I. <laughs> I have She's got to be up at 3.30. Oh, 30. That's gross. We've been drinking alcohol. It's time. We're done. <laughs> anyway, fuck. So here we are back in studio. Super dope. Yay. It was a really good fucking hiatus. It was much ness. Much ness. Sure. Much ness. Take down the white claw. I've taken mine down a long time ago. Is yours warm? No. Okay, good. Anyway. It's cool. Mm, cool. Cool white claws aren't the same as cold white claws. No. Yeah. So anyway, you don't have to with that face I every just, time the two words are mentioned. I can't help it. It just my face just does that. San Juan's are my favorite seltzers. White claws are horrible, but I've I had had enough alcohol prior that if I slam and jammed that one when it was cold, which I did, I was aces. It just makes me think of college and all of the gross like Mike's we didn't hard lemonades. Have white claws in college, I, and I never went to college. Mike's hard <laughs> lemonades—they remind same. me of other things that are gross. And but same. we didn't have white claws when I should have. No, we had. Uh, I was saying Mike's, Mike's hard, hard lemonade, lemonade and is we what had it reminds me of. Smirnoff Ice. Oh, well, yeah. especially that, guys. I had Zima, so oh, that's right, Bartles and James. Thing. I had Zima. Yeah, I had the OG. You drop one skittle in, it was like a thing. Yeah, Bartles yeah, and yeah. James. 
I feel like that came first and then Z. Uh, Calif- Bartles and James, and then there was the California Coolers, which but came in two-liter bottles, which is C- why I can't drink peach alcoholic beverages and ever because... The Sea Breezes were also like Bartles and James, horrible high school dance situation Wine where there was coolers. a two-liter of peach California Coolers, no. and then came Zena. Zena, yep. Zima? Yep, Zena's there. too. Zimas came along when I was old enough to drink. California coolers, I was nay. I was in high school. I got fucking suspended. It was a whole thing. Anyway, Z's got to go to bed. I so need to glad be to be back in the studio. It's mm-hmm. been a day. It's been a week. Fuck dicks. So, you know, y'all you know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe. Yes, please. Share, share, share. The more you leave nice, lovely reviews, which the thank you for all of you that have, because I've been reading you. them and they're, they're fucking amazing, uh, and I love you. Yeah, the more reviews we get, the higher up on those charts we get. Which, the charts. The charts, which I'm tired and my mouth is. And when not we get higher anymore. up on the charts, then you know what we get things. We get to come <laughs> see you. That easier. We can tour. I want to go on tour. Yeah. So do those things. Do those things, guys. Get on the fucking Patreon so I can quit my job. <laughs> Do that, too. <laughs> fuck. Man, fuck. So, uh, okay. Well, till next time, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Bye. Bye. You know what I want to do? Mm. I need to take it back old school for a minute. Oh, boy. You know what I need to do? Oh, Jesus. I need a real good, big, fat, old-fashioned Fuck you, Bob. Fuck you, Bob. Fuck you, Bob. Fuck you sideways, upways, backways, always. Fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And fuck you, Gwyneth, too. Fuck other people. Fuck. Fuck them. I have a feeling this isn't about Bob or Gwyneth. Probably not. (laughs) Not even a little bit, but God damn it, it fucking felt good. Fuck you. Oh, you know what? It's been two weeks and I haven't done it yet. Fuck you to hell and back. Big country. <laughs> <laughs>